Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wag, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 70, and we're going to talk about why you're doing what you're doing, why I'm doing what I'm doing. We're also going to talk about an absolutely insane road that you can drive if you can get yourself to Montenegro. We're going to have a product review of a 12-volt submersible pump, a place to visit that is very, very old, and we're going to talk about how to find out if your vehicle has any recalls. So thank you very much for joining me once again here, and I have to do a special shout-out to a lovely couple who wrote me a note from Australia. And they are Lockie and Liz, and I really hope I'm pronouncing your name right, and they just sent me the nicest letter as they're circumnavigating their lovely island country of Australia in a Toyota Hiace, which I'm super jealous of. For those of you in the U.S. who don't know what a Toyota Hiace is, imagine a Ford Econoline that was made by Toyota, or maybe even something a little bigger than that. It is a full-size Toyota van that is often used for things like airport shuttles and stuff like that. I've ridden in these things extensively around the world, but because of the chicken tax that I've talked about in the past, they are not found in the U.S. So, Good on you for having such a cool van, and thanks very much for the note. It is much appreciated. That said, let's get on to today's topic, which is the rather esoteric, what are you doing? And by that I mean, why are you doing what you're doing? Everybody listening to this program, almost everybody, I actually got a note from someone who doesn't have a van, or an interest in having a van, actually, but the vast majority of people listening to this program either have a van want a van, or have another vehicle that they're traveling in or want to travel in. But there's an interest in traveling and living in a vehicle for some length of time. Why do you want to do this? Why don't you stay in your nice, comfy house or apartment or your mom's basement or your mansion or whatever your situation happens to be? Why do you want to limit yourself to a tiny bit of space and give up the niceties of air conditioning and reliable electricity and running water and that oh-so-very-important-but-often-overlooked thing, modern plumbing. Well, I know why I'm doing it, but I think it's important, especially for the new folks, to be very clear in their mind as to why they're doing it. Now, there's no right or wrong reason, but there are folks who become enamored with van life, hashtag van life, you know, they're on Instagram and on YouTube and seeing these beautiful people in their beautiful vans and beautiful places, and they say, that looks great, I want to do that, but what is that? And sometimes people will spend money or spend hours and days and months and years building out a van, get behind that driver's seat, and have nowhere to go. What I'm suggesting to you is that you need to have a mission. Now, when I say need, you can do whatever the heck you want, but I will suggest that you will have a better experience, especially during the rough times, if you know why you're in a van, if you have that thought at the forefront of everything you're doing. So a very concrete example of this is this Aurora project I'm doing. And I apologize if you're sick of hearing me talk about it. It's occupying nearly all my mental space these days. 
but it is a mission. It is a goal. It is a purpose. It is a thing that when I get up in the morning, I am going to spend my day getting closer to accomplishing that goal. The van is a means to do that. Could I visit every Aurora in the United States without a van? Absolutely. But it would cost a heck of a lot more money staying in all these hotels. And that's not even the worst part. The worst part is the flexibility. Part of me wanting to be in a van is that it gives me this ultimate flexibility that I don't have to be in a certain place in a certain time. If it's three o'clock in the afternoon and I'm tired, I can pull over and have a nap, or I can just pull over and spend the night there. Or if it's two o'clock in the morning and I can't sleep, I can just drive. I am free. And I think that will resonate with an awful lot of people who are intrigued by van life. But I have a mission. I do not wake up in the morning and sit there and think, hmm, what am I going to do today? Now again, there's nothing wrong with that, but too many days of that, and I fear that you might get to the point where you start thinking, what am I going to do today, and why am I in a van? So let's talk a little bit about what your missions might be. For some folks, it's very simple. They want to see the country. So they'll set a goal of seeing all 48 of the lower states, or maybe even all 50 states, which it's a little tricky to get your van to Hawaii, but it can be done. Some folks want to see all the national parks, an absolutely wonderful goal that I think you should put off until next year. And some folks just want to have adventures. So their mission may be a daily mission or a weekly mission. They'll say, we're going to stay here for two weeks. Then we're going to go here and stay two weeks there. What a mission does, and this is counterintuitive, is it limits your choices. Because ultimately, while we're all doing this for freedom, we want freedom. Freedom is a tyranny. <laughs> Doesn't that sound crazy? I, I know it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy to me as I'm saying it, and yet I've seen it be true time and time again. Freedom is a blank piece of paper. And any artist will tell you, including writers and painters and illustrators, that there's nothing more terrifying than a blank piece of paper because it is entirely free. And when you start limiting yourself... That's where creativity comes from. That's where experience comes from. That's where genius comes from. And there are many ways to quote unquote limit yourself in a positive way. For example, you're an illustrator. Well, for this particular thing, you are only going to use a number two pencil. That's it. You're not allowed to use any other tools. You're going to limit yourself to a number two pencil. Now, what can you draw with a number two pencil? What's on your mind? Well, I've been feeling this way. Okay, how can I express how I feel that way with just a number two pencil and so on and so forth? It sets you down the path to accomplishing your goal. And what that looks like in van life is you're sitting behind the wheel of your van and you have an endless option of roads to take and where to go. And if you're like me, if you're a curious person, it's completely overwhelming because I see opportunities and things I want to see down every road. I firmly believe that no matter where you are, there is something interesting to see there and I want to see it, but I don't have enough time to see everything. I don't have enough space in my head to cram it full of all the things I want to. So I have to limit myself. 
The other important part of having a mission is to stop running away from things and run towards things. You'll hear people talk about, oh, I want to quit my job one day and do van life. Oh, I want to get out of this relationship and do van life. Oh, I just want to start over. Those are all valid reasons to do van life, of course, but they're all reactive. They are all responding to something that you want to change. They're not actually goals. They're the desire to close a door. And yet a van represents nothing but a huge open door. So the challenge then is to convert that. And let's take the tragic and yet all too common example of leaving a relationship. Whatever has happened in your life, you find yourself needing to leave a relationship and start over. And you think a van might be the way to do that. Okay, everything is fine there. That is a very common thing that happens. You can find videos all over YouTube about people who are doing this. But then what? That is not an end. It's a beginning. So I'm asking you to consider this. Set yourself a goal. It doesn't have to be a big goal. It doesn't have to be an important goal. It just has to be something that limits your choices so you can focus on what's right in front of you. Here's another example of this. I was leading a tour group on a cruise from Hawaii to Australia. That's a very long cruise. It was 18 days, and there were two stretches where we were at sea without any stops for five days and six days. I was traveling by myself, and the group I was leading wasn't a group that I was kind of intimate with. These weren't folks I'd hang out with. I would just put on my official tour guide hat and show them things. So I was basically alone on this beautiful big ship in the middle of the Pacific. I decided that I was going to take photographs of as many different colors of the ocean as I possibly could. That was my mission. Every day I would wander the decks, wait for the clouds to change, and then take pictures of just squares of ocean with no context around them. This was all about the color. And I ended up with hundreds of pictures of every possible different shade of blue and green and black and gray and all these colors I really had no idea that the ocean could be. Now at the end of this, did I exhibit this in an art gallery and win all kinds of awards? No. I never showed it to anyone. I don't even think I still have it. The point of doing this wasn't to have a final product. It was to do it. If you are considering van life, if you think van life looks appealing, make sure you know why you're doing it. Because if you build out that beautiful van and you get behind the wheel and you expect stuff to happen, it won't unless you steer the van to a place. Or maybe I'm wrong, but that's how it seems to me. Tech Talk. So I, I promised a group of people that I would talk about CPAP machines. So CPAP stands for Continuous Positive Air Pressure. These things are basically fans that blow air up your nose and in your mouth. I mean, all right, they're for folks who have obstructive sleep apnea. They're for folks who have trouble breathing at night while they're asleep. They basically stop breathing. And this device, which is often a mask that goes over your face, sometimes it just goes over your nose, blows air and keeps your airways open so you keep breathing. That's it. They're very common. Lots of folks have them. But a lot of folks who have them are concerned that they won't be able to do van life. 
And I'm here to tell you that's wrong. You can absolutely do van life with a CPAP. This is not a problem. I have traveled with lots of folks with CPAPs all over the world, and we have always found a way to make them work, even on ships built in Germany, in Finland, in Paris, and all the different plugs, and going to Australia where the plugs are kind of bent compared to U.S. plugs. And anyway, we have always found a way to make it work, and it's actually not even that hard to do in a van. You see, it is not a CPAP problem. It's just a math problem. You need to have enough power to power your CPAP and then a way to recharge your batteries. That's it. And that is something that we deal with all the time in van life. So if you replace a CPAP with, say, a refrigerator, it becomes dead obvious what you need to do. And that is calculate how much power your CPAP needs and then get a battery solution that is enough to power that CPAP for at least one night and then have a charging solution to charge that during the day. That could be solar. It could be hooked up to your vehicle's alternator, so done while you're driving. Or it could even be shore power, whatever your situation might be. In that regard, a CPAP is no different than anything else you have in a van. They do not use more power than a refrigerator or something that you may already have. So that's fine. But there are a few things that are unique about CPAPs that we do need to talk about. First off is they apparently run at, most of them anyway, run at 24 volts, which is a little bit odd. So they're meant to be used in homes or hotel rooms and you plug them in. Well, that plug that you're plugging in is actually converting the power to 24 volts, which makes it a little tricky for using in a van because most people have 12 volts in their van, not 24, although some do. So if you're buying a CPAP, the easiest way to deal with this is to buy a CPAP that has a car charger adapter for it. And these are magic devices that turn 12 volts into 24 volts. That's the easiest, simplest, smallest, most efficient way to do this. You can also use an inverter, but as I say all the time, inverters are inherently wasteful and you're going to lose at least 10% of your power. But that may not matter. If you've got plenty of solar panels and you're not worrying about recharging your batteries, maybe 10% isn't a big deal and that works just fine. But CPAPs have different settings. And so because I don't have a CPAP, I asked on the internet if anyone had experience using one. And a lovely person by the name of Mara helped me out and said that her mom camps out with a Jackery 500, which is a mid-size quote-unquote solar generator, I really hate that term, and she has a CPAP. And so when she uses that CPAP for a night, she still has 60% of her battery left. So she could do two nights with a Jackery 500, but she turns off the heat and humidity. Different CPAPs have different settings for heat and humidity. Sometimes they're combined. There are actually passive humidity units where it doesn't use any power. It uses the moisture from your breath to actually humidify the air. And that would be ideal. But yes, if you want to use a CPAP in a van and not have $3,000 worth of batteries, you're going to have to turn off the heat and humidity. But if you're willing to do that, it is fairly trivial to power your CPAP for the night. So, CPAPs are not a barrier to van life at all. They're just another little math problem. It's easy to solve them. You have no worries. Tales from the road. I was fortunate enough to take a trip to Montenegro, which is a fairly new European country. 
in the Balkans. It is, and I have to be careful here because there's a little tension over this, but it used to be part of Serbia, although the Montenegrins might say otherwise. In fact, the Montenegrin language is pretty much the same as Serbian, although the Montenegrins don't like it when I say that. At any rate, Montenegro is an amazing place to visit, and if you noticed, uh, if you're a James Bond fan, as I am, you may have noticed that the Casino Royale movie with Daniel Craig in it takes place in Montenegro. I don't know where they filmed that, actually. I could look it up, but that is not Montenegro. But what Montenegro is, is this lovely old world country with an amazing history and great waterways. As we sailed into Montenegro, into Couture, we passed a World War II submarine base that was carved into a cave in the side of the mountain. It was just, it was, it was wonderful. It took hours to sail in there. Anyway, obviously I like this place. I'm talking too much, but I do want you to note one specific thing. Couture is on the coast and behind Couture is a mountain that is very, very steep. And there is a road that goes up that mountain. This road is nothing more than a one-lane paved road with switchbacks every, say, quarter mile or so. And these switchbacks are so tight that you basically have to stop the vehicle and turn the wheel and then go around the corner. Now remember, this is one lane. That means if you meet another car, you're going to have to do some negotiation. Of course, my experience with this road wasn't in a car. It was in a full-size tour bus. And the driver heads up this mountain, and at points he has to stick parts of the bus over the cliff. And by parts, I don't mean the bumper. I mean parts where people are sitting. Because the bus's wheels are inset. They're not at the edges of the vehicle. There's maybe four feet after the back wheels and four feet in front of the front wheels. While he's driving the bus, his wheels on the road, but he is dangling off a cliff. And as we were heading up, and many of the passengers were taking note of their newfound appreciation of heights, two guys came down the hill in a convertible doing about 50 miles an hour. And they stopped, and it was fine, but I'm like, holy cow, they need to build a new road here. This is not safe. And I said that, and the English-speaking tour guide said, oh, this is the new road. Look over there, and you'll see the old road. <laughs> and I looked, and what I saw looked like an obstacle course that a goat would have a problem with. That was the old road. Anyway, if you are fortunate enough to make it to Montenegro, absolutely either drive this road or take the tour. I can't actually say that it's safe, but I can say it's memorable. And, well, that's kind of what it's all about, isn't it? Also, as a bonus thing, this is just a, a weird little thing. If you've ever played the game Skyrim, you know how all the towns have these taverns in them that, to American eyes, are kind of a strange architecture, there's rooms on the side, and then there's like a lofty area. That's what the buildings are like in Montenegro. When you get to the top of the mountain, the tour bus will probably take you to one of the taverns, and it will feel very familiar when you go inside, <laughs> because it is exactly what they use to model the taverns in Skyrim. Anyway, check it out. Wonderful place to visit, and I really hope to get back someday. Product review. I, 
I have a 12-volt submersible pump. So most of the van builds I see and most of the plans and designs I see use a traditional RV pressure pump. This is a pump that has a switch in it that detects pressure. So when you turn on the tap, water comes out, the pressure drops, and the pump turns on to get the pressure back up. And then when you turn the tap off, the pump will run for a few more seconds to pressurize the system, and then it waits for you to turn the tap on again. This works great. There is nothing wrong with this system, but it does demand that your plumbing be perfect. You have to be pressure tight. No air can escape from anything. And on simple van builds, this is a burden that you really don't need because you can also use a 12-volt submersible pump like I have. This is also called a Westphalia pump because the Volkswagen Westphalias use this system. It's just a little tiny 12-volt pump that you actually put in the water tank and it'll dangle from wires and then a hose comes out of it and goes to your faucet. And when you turn on your faucet, nothing happens because you also need a switch and that's the trick with these things. The switch will turn on the pump that lets the water come out. Now some people install these without a knob on the faucet. They just have an electric switch and then water comes out. But it will always come out at the same speed. I bought a SureFlow faucet that has an electric switch built into the knob. So when I turn on the knob, that powers the pump and then I can adjust the flow at the same time. For me, this is a great solution for a simple build because the 12-volt submersible pump is usually less than 20 bucks. It's not expensive. And you can put it in anything. It'll work in a five-gallon bucket. It'll work in a one-gallon milk jug. It doesn't care where it is. It just needs to be submersed. I have mine in a five-gallon jerry can, and it works great. The SureFlow faucet is more like 50 bucks, but it's super convenient. But again, not necessary. You can take a bent piece of copper install it over your sink straight to the pump and then just put in a simple switch and you're done. I have had this thing in the van since I built it new. It has never let me down. It is freeze tolerant. I have frozen it in my tank a few times and as soon as it thaws, it's fine. The only issue I have with it, and I want you to learn from my mistake, is I used a very flexible plastic hose that collapses over time. The hose kind of pinches. So when you put in your 12-volt your submersible electric water pump, make sure you use a hose that's semi-rigid so that it won't collapse. Usually these are braided, and they don't have to be stainless steel or anything like that, but a braided hose like the kind you would find on a kitchen sprayer that would be a better thing to use than what I used. Or you can put plastic joints in wherever the hose will bend, say at the top of the tank. But anyway, just watch out for that. So I do recommend 12-volt submersible pumps. I'll have links in the show notes to the one I have, as well as the faucet, which is kind of the magic that makes this work. But consider this if you're doing a build, especially if you're not going to have hot water. If you're just going to have fresh water, this is a great affordable solution. A place to visit. This is a very cool place that does take some work to get to that I don't know anyone who's actually been there other than me and some of my friends. I mean, people go there all the time, but it's not a place people talk about. It's called Chazzy Reef. That is C-H-A-Z-Y-R-E-E-F. Chazzy Reef. And it's named after Chazzy, New York. But it's not in New York. It's in Vermont. Specifically, it's on an island in Lake Champlain, but it's an island you can drive to if you're very, very patient. 
Now, Lake Champlain is a very large lake. It is geologically one of the Great Lakes, although the Midwest isn't willing to share that title. There are these big islands, and they have fascinating histories of their own, and they're beautiful. But if you leave from Burlington and weave your way through these islands, eventually you will end up at Isle Lamotte. And if that sounds a little bit French, that's because, you know, Vermont, Green Mountain, it's, it's a French place we're going here. It's not really that French, but the names are. Isle Lamotte is very close to New York, though technically still in Vermont. And there is a reef there. A reef doesn't mean a coral reef underwater. Uh, Capital Reef in Utah, another popular place to visit, is also a reef. It actually means it's a barrier. It's something in the way. And on Isle Lamotte, this reef is a big portion of rock that's exposed. And it's actually so big, it stretches to Tennessee. But there's only a little bit of it exposed right here. And it is not a coral reef. Why? Because it's older than coral. All coral. It is older than coral can be because coral wasn't evolved yet when this reef was formed. And it is filled with fossils. You're basically walking around on a moonscape with, with a huge variety of fossils embedded in the stone. And one of those fossils is stromatolites. Stromatolites are a precursor to coral. They're basically thought of as what coral evolved from. And this is one of the very few places in the world that you can see it. It's very cool. And if you walk around, you'll see all kinds of other things too. And what happens is people will go out there with chalk and kind of circle around the cool stuff. And I'm going to read to you a list of things that you can see there just because I think these are fun words to say. You can see stromatoporioids, gastropods, cephalopods, echinoderms, brachiopods, sponges, coral, bryozoa, and the aforementioned stromatolites. Also, you're on an island in the middle of Lake Champlain. It is a beautiful, peaceful, nature-filled day to leave from Burlington and drive and see all these islands. So if you're ever up in New England, which is overlooked in van life, in my opinion, yes, it can be a challenge, but there are wonders galore. See if you can fit a visit to Chazzy Reef into your itinerary. And here is a weird tip that I may be the only person on the planet who knows this. In Richmond, Vermont, which is 20 minutes east of Burlington, there is a round church. I used to be a tour guide there. I'm not going to talk very much about the round church. But the footstone of the round church is a piece of Chazzy Reef, complete with fossils. So if you can't make it out to the reef because you don't have as much time, at least stop by the round church. It's on exit 11 on I-89 and have a look at the fossils because they're there waiting for you. Okay, resource recommendation. You're looking at a vehicle or maybe you've had a vehicle for a while and you're wondering what its history might be like, have there been any recalls? Have you done your recalls? Are you the kind of person who doesn't want to deal with dealers, which I pretty much am? Well, there's a resource for you that you can basically type in your VIN and it will tell you all the recalls that have ever have been for your vehicle. If you're not familiar with the term VIN, that's your vehicle identification number. It is found on a metal plate, usually at the lower right of your windshield, if you're looking through the windshield from the outside, and also on the inner door of the driver's side. 
It can also be found on your insurance card in many cases. It's on your title. If you look for it, you're going to find it. Every vehicle has a unique number. And when you type in your VIN at this website, which is the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, it will list all the recalls, how severe they are, what they are, and what needs to be done. And then you know if your vehicle is up to date or not. Now, VINs are 17 characters, so I'm going to type mine in and see what it says for my Nissan NV200. 3N6. And here's the cool thing about this. It keeps track of your individual vehicle. I can look at this and my report says zero unrepaired recalls, but that's because I had them fixed. I know there were recalls for my vehicle and this keeps track. So if you're buying a used vehicle, this is super helpful so you will know whether a recall was done on your vehicle or not. I'll have a link in the show notes, but I will read to you what the URL is. It is NHTSA, that's National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA.gov. That's really all you need to learn. But then if you're looking for this specific place, it's slash recalls. So nhtsa.gov slash recalls. And as a bonus, I'm going to give you another URL that is useful. This is driving-tests.org slash vin-decoder. <laughs> There's a link in the show notes. What this one does is if you type in your VIN here, it will tell you everything about your vehicle, basically. So when I type in mine, it says that my style slash body is a minivan, which, sure, I'll call it a minivan. It's a little bit arguable. It's made by Nissan. It's an NV200. It's from 2014. It's got 4x2 drive, which just means two-wheel drive. It's a two-liter engine manufactured in Mexico, and it's seven years old. So it tells me how old it is, which is good, because if you've got, say, a 2018 van, and maybe it's actually a 2014 van and someone's trying to pull a fast one, this website will, will tell you about it. It also even tells you what plant it was made in. Like mine was made in the Civac plant. Now, when you do this, they're going to try to sell you stuff. They're going to say, oh, you've got recalls. Click here to find your recalls and all that kind of stuff. You can get the full report if you want. They're trying to get money out of you. But uh, that's up to you. You don't have to do that. It's, it's helpful just to have the information that you can get for free. Also, if you scroll down at the bottom, it'll tell you the most recent complaints people have had with that type of vehicle. Now, this isn't about that specific vehicle. It's about whatever type of vehicle. So I can see here that someone in an NV200 had a fuel propulsion system problem. Someone's airbags were a problem. Actually, that's a pretty common one. Airbags, airbags, airbags. Anyway, enough said about that. I'll have links in the show notes, two different VIN tools that will help you out if you're evaluating a vehicle. Oh, and sorry, one last thing. If you own a brand new Chevy Express, you just had a recall. Something like 60,000 Chevy Expresses were just recalled. So if you have a 2020 or a 2021, you definitely want to check this out and see if your vehicle's been recalled because I think it's actually something pretty important. Thank you very much for listening to episode 70. Music, as always, is by Simon Wag, And you can get a hold of me at jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. You can also find us on Facebook at built to go a Facebook group. And we have a Discord server. Yes, you guessed it. built to go a Discord server. And until next time, remember the words of Gustave Flaubert. Travel makes one modest. You see what a tiny place you occupy in the world. <laughs>